The following audio is brought to you by Summerside Community Church in London, Ontario. For more information on Summerside, visit us online at www.summersidechurch.ca. Got to admit, it's a surreal experience for me on this day of making commitments especially the commitment I'm making to you as I step into the role of uh, lead pastor. I'm, I'm feeling mixed, uh, joyful and grateful on the one hand, and uh, frankly sober-minded on the other hand because of the impact of this role. As I see it, serving the Lord at Summerside in this role as your lead pastor involves energizing, synergizing, and enabling a lot of things to move forward in your own mission. You should know this. Everyday disciples making disciples what? Every day. Now, at the highest level, what does that involve? Well, there's there's five things for sure that that involves. Uh, worship services, uh, discipleship, prayer, Outreach and community, for sure. But most of us, if we're honest, we just we don't think in in those big big buckets. We we just just because of the way we are, we think practically. We think about the things that we're involved in, uh, ministries and events. Here's just a spattering of the ministries and events, and I won't hit them all that are going on that I'm going to be involved and get engaged with in some level. Uh, ministries for women, men, children, seniors, family, missions, local outreach, church planting with our own church plant, evangelism, welcome and engagement, spiritual and pastoral care, leadership development, and a bunch I'm missing. And then there's the often inv- invisible but highly essential things like governance, staff coaching, fundraising, financial management, facilities, technology, human resources, and communications. Um, that's a lot of stuff. All important in their own way. Let me tell you what I do know. I can't do it all. And as talented as this staff that we have here are, they can't do it all by themselves either. Yes, as a a group, as a staff, we are called to lean into and lead much of it to pursue excellence. Uh, But we are, we are called to engage you and to invest, help you invest yourself in this mission for you, for your own growth as a disciple, which will involve Serve, serving, time, and sacrifice. So if you call Summerside Church your home church, it is your church. And this is the place where you are called to be involved in those things. So saying all that, what I want to do uh, this morning is I actually want to just talk uh, openly about the cement floor foundation underneath all of that. It's my burning passion, something I am called to give my life to, and something which I have learned over many years in pastoral ministry has a massive impact on my own spiritual heart 
as I engage in all those other things that I was just talking about with you, and when I neglect it or fail to invest in it, it has the opposite effect spiritually on my heart as I do those other things. That something is preaching. I want to talk to you today about my commitment to that. Even though it has been a commitment of all the preachers prior to me, including those that will continue to serve uh, and preach here from time to time, but I just feel an urgency uh, 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 to lay it out for you personally on this day of commitments. You might be thinking to yourself, well, uh, really, that's, that's what you're going to talk about today? Of course you would. It's your job. But I can make a pretty good case to you this morning that you're quite invested in this preaching of the word yourself. By all accounts, most people who enter their adult years as a believer are going to spend a lot of time listening to something like what's about to happen now. Someone telling you, teaching you, challenging you, and proclaiming to you what the Bible actually says. So, would you um, turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. We're going to look at the first uh, five verses. I'm just going to break it into three buckets simply for you this morning. Um, I'm going to call them preaching, focus, and anticipation. Praying that it stirs something in you today. Let's start with this first thing. Preaching. What's the deal? That's a fair question. What is the deal with preaching? Notice what Paul says to the church in this Greek city of Corinth, verse 1. And so it was with me, brothers and sisters, when I came to you, I did not come with eloquence or human wisdom as I proclaimed to you uh, the testimony about God. Now, just a little background, he's writing to a very broken church. Uh, they're carnal, they're worldly, they're sexually immoral, they're materialistic, and, and very, very divisive. Not at all like Summerside Church, thank God. Although, let's be honest, we have those sins named among us as people, as it is true of all churches, um, but uh, Paul had actually visited them. He's like, do you remember how I came to you when I visited? Do you, do you remember anything? Look at it again. Let me read that verse again. I did not come with eloquence or human wisdom as I proclaimed. Remember that word if you're underlining in your Bibles. As I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. Now. That word, eloquence, is translated in some uh, Bibles as lofty words, or in others as excellence with words. You might think maybe here Shakespearean, or high society, highfalutin, or um, kind of a Oxford uh, kind of highly educated, very eloquent Notice how he basically restates the exact same thing in verse 4. If you just drop down to verse 4, he says, My message and my preaching were not with wise words, wise and persuasive words. Now, why is he, why is he doing this? 
He's making a very important, strong point to the Greek culture of that time. Why? Because those people really prized public speakers. They really got in on those people that could just hold your attention with eloquence and with lofty words and just hold you captive in their hands um, with an, an incredible command of oratory, is what I would, I would say. And apparently with persuasion and uh, the apparent common sense wisdom of the day. And they wrapped it all up in a bundle and people were just like, oh, anything he says. Okay? Even today, even today, you can think about some public figure. Maybe it's a, a comedian or maybe some YouTube channeler you're watching, or maybe a, uh, an actor you really enjoy, and there's just this draw every time you listen to them, and you kind of passively just turn off, and you're just like, yeah, what he said. Paul's saying, that's not me. We do know from uh, history that Paul didn't have uh, much of a physical presence to talk about. I mean, he wasn't buff. I mean, he wasn't uh, considered handsome even uh, of that at that time at all. You know, the question really is, w- w- what are you going to do, Paul, when you show up in Corinth? You going to do a one-hour special? You going to drama? You going to have a have a light show for them? Paul's like, nope. I didn't have a clever plan. Now, don't hear what I'm not saying here, okay, or what Paul's not saying. I am not saying that Paul was a weak communicator of the gospel. He absolutely was. You just read the book of Acts and you'll see that he was well-versed in teaching and argumentation and reasoning and speaking powerfully. The point simply here that he's making is, I didn't preach to you using sales techniques and gimmicks and style and oratory brilliance. I I, I wasn't trying to impress you. That was never the point. I'm not the point, he's saying. There's no power in any of that. Log that in your mind right now. What did he do? He did what God called him to do, and incredibly, God blessed what it was. He preached Christ. I mean, if you just flip back in the chapter, turn back a page maybe in some of your Bibles to 1 Corinthians 1. Verse 17, Paul says this, For Christ did not send me to baptize, uh, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom or eloquence, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. For the message of the cross is foolish or foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. So here's the bottom line. God has a message that saves people. And He has ordained that that message be proclaimed. The Greek word actually here is keruso, which means preaching. And it means to announce, to herald, to 
publicly proclaim. It means lifting up your voice and proclaiming that there is a God. And that this God is offering us the opportunity to experience His love and forgiveness and be reconciled to Him by faith in His Son. It's used 112 times in the Scriptures. And make no mistake about it. Jesus was a preacher. Matthew 4.17, it says from that time on, Jesus began to preach, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. The disciples were preachers. Mark 16.15, Jesus said to them, go into all the world and preach the gospel. In Acts chapter 10, verse 12, Peter says that he was commanded to preach. And then later, near the end of his life, Paul says, I was appointed a preacher. Now, here's the problem. There are many voices in the church saying that preaching is irrelevant. I mean, here's a quote from 20 years ago. A church growth expert says, the sermon is out. It's an outmoded form of communication, a dying art, an echo from an abandoned past. I am so glad that I never listened to this guy 20 years ago. Question. What do you think would happen in a church if we adopted that view? Well, uh, what do you replace it with? Entertainment? More socials, concerts, Christianized Hallmark movie moments. (laughs) Some, sadly, would actually say, yeah, I'd like more of that. I need you to hear this morning, on this day I make commitments. I'm not on that page at all. You know, in my bones, I feel that the time is short. I sense a lethargy in the church, the evangelical church at large. And, 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 it, and it's producing an urgency that we need to be awakened. And that's why Paul's words to his protege in 2 Timothy 4, a young pastor named Timothy, are exactly what we need to hear today. He says to Timothy, in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of his appearing and his kingdom, I give you this charge. Preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction for the time, listen to this, for the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around themselves a number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. Are are we there now? They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. God help us. So, so, we know what preaching is generally. Now let's focus on how to prevent preaching from going astray. 
How, let's get more specific. Here's the second thing. Focus. Keeping the main thing the main thing. How, how many of you have ever heard that famous saying written by someone? I don't know who. But it's this. The main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing. Not hard to memorize that one. And that's exactly what Paul does in verse 2. It was his main message. He said, For I resolved to know nothing among you when I was with you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Now, if you look back to verse 1, he already told us, I proclaim to you the testimony about God. Uh, do you see that in the text? Now he's saying, uh, I um, resolved to know nothing about you. So we've got three things that Paul is pushing hard on, this main thing. Note them. The testimony of God, Jesus Christ, Him crucified. If I asked uh, someone here to just come up right now and give us your testimony... And uh, most of you would uh, probably not love me uh, for doing that. And uh, you wouldn't like leaving your seat. Uh, I'll pass, thanks. Maybe give me a month before you go uh, set me up for that, if you don't mind. Uh, But if you did, if you did come and share your testimony as a believer about maybe what God has done in your life, about where you were when God intersected your life and what's happened since then... If you've ever heard those kind of testimonies, they're pretty powerful, aren't they? They, they? they impact us. Well, here we have Paul saying that God has a testimony. Because a testimony is nothing more than our story. So what is God's testimony? It's his story. And what Paul's doing here is he is scoping in on that message. He starts off with the testimony of God and then Jesus Christ, the person, but more specifically, what did he do for us? We're on the bullseye right now. Crucified. The death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's the bullseye of the message. And so all preaching is the testimony of God, His story. But all preaching, more specifically, is the Word of God. Uh, But more specifically, the Son of God. And more specifically, then, the Gospel of the Son of God is the bullseye. Scope yourself in on that. That must be in there somewhere every week. That God loves fallen people. That they can be saved from sin. They can experience His love personally. They can have the hope of eternal life through faith in Jesus Christ. And listen, I should never get sick of telling you this. And you should never get sick about hearing it. Notice how Paul uses that word though. I resolved. Some translations say, I determined. The word couldn't be stronger for how intentional he was, how passionate he was in preaching Christ and him crucified. Uh, Paul is intentionally focusing on the main thing here. He is intentionally focusing on that which was central, the cross. 
It doesn't mean that Paul didn't talk about other things. All you have to do is read through any of his letters and you'll see him covering just a long list of issues. What Paul is saying here is, uh, when he says, I resolved to know this, he meant that there was no topic that he would teach, no topic he would discuss, no topic he would confront them with that wasn't preceding from and related to the cross. I like this quote from D.A. Carson. I'll just read it. I don't have it on the slide, but it just said, Paul cannot talk long about Christian joy, Christian ethics, Christian living, Christian fellowship, or the doctrine of God or anything else without finally tying it to the cross. The cross was central to Paul. Why? Because it was central to Jesus. You read the four Gospels. We have four. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. And you'll see that leap off the page. That's why Paul's so passionate when he corrects the church in Galatia. He says in chapter 3 verse 1, Oh, foolish Galatians. Who has deceived you? Before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. Now, these people were actually not present the day Jesus died. He was saying to them, when I was with you, and he was saying with some righteous anger, when I was with you, the essence of my preaching was as follows. Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified and his anger and his astonishment was, how could you drift from that? How could you drift from that into legalism? Now, maybe this morning for you, legalism isn't the thing that you're drifting towards. Maybe for you, you're drifting towards materialism. Or pop psychology. Or trying to be morally superior to others. Maybe it's entertainment. Or passive self-indulgence. Listen. Whatever it is that is taking your eyes off the testimony of God, Jesus Christ, and Him crucified. And could become your main thing without you even seeing it coming, that's what we need to lean into. You're like, Leo, you seem a bit fixated on this. I am. Because I know myself how easy it is to drift. And my concern is how quickly we forget. We forget the main thing. That's why so many great preachers from the past said, I I need to preach it every week. It's a daily temptation. It's a daily tendency. There's actually this this funny thing I find. Paul says to Timothy in uh, 2 Timothy chapter 2. He just uses these three words. He, He says to him, remember Jesus Christ, period. You find that odd? That he's saying this to Pastor Timothy. Hello, Timothy, delegate of the apostles. 
Remember Jesus Christ. How could Timothy forget? I think it was because Paul knew that we are prone to forget. And why it is so critical for us to remember the main thing. Now back to our text in second in first corinthians 2 look at verse 3 he says i came to you in weakness with great fear and trembling i love the honesty of this i was actually uh, talking with one of the elders this week about the passage i'm preaching to you today and um he chuckled and and he said to me you feeling the fear and trembling and i was kind of like i i don't i can't remember if i said it but i'm like uh yeah yeah, I'm feeling it. I'm feeling it. Um, but I'll tell you this. I relate to Paul in this verse. And it's not just because I'm so new here or because I'm aware of my own inadequacies. There is a weight to preaching God's word. And I think Paul is just being honest. He is admitting, yeah, I knew when I came to you that there was probably going to be some difficult conversations. I knew when I came to you I was going to probably offend some people with what I preached. But I think that when you really zero in, Paul's also saying, I have this ongoing conscious awareness that God, Almighty God, is listening to every word that I say to His people. So I had to be faithful It has to be true. I had that real feeling in my own life. So, if I had a prayer request for a church today, my prayer request to you, Summerside Community Church, is would you pray for me? Would you pray for me that I remain faithful to the task of staying on this main thing? So... We've covered preaching, focus, final thing here, anticipation, experiencing the power of God. What exactly are we going uh, going for when we gather every week to hear God's word? Have you asked yourself that question? I mean, we come every week. Have you asked yourself, what are we going for when we do this? Is it to fill time? Is it... Uh, an information download? Is it about education? Is it religious duty? What are we going for? Well, look at it. It's right at the end of verse 4 into verse into 5. But with a demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith, he's talking about you if you're a Christian, your faith in Jesus as Lord, Savior, and King, he says, so that your faith not, might not rest on human wisdom but on God's power. So you ask me, what is my hope for this church overall? Anytime I preach or anyone else preaches here, what is my anticipation? My hope and anticipation as we lean into hearing God's words together, my hope every single week is that maybe one person, just one I'd love to see everyone, but walks away going, you know what? I heard from God today. I saw it in his word. He stirred something in my heart. 
He caused me to be moved about what he has to say about something going on in my life. That is the power of the Holy Spirit. That is God's power that Paul's talking about right there. That is how lives are changed. That is central to discipleship. And the result, Paul says, is that your faith isn't going to be based on human wisdom. It's not going to be based on how phenomenal the preacher is, how big their brand is. We've all seen over the last 15 years what that looks like across the church in North America. He says so that your faith would be firmly resting on God's power. Power to save. Power to heal. Power to convict. Power to correct. Power to comfort. What can you do? Let me leave you with three practical things, I think. Number one, commit to the journey. We live in a time, if we're honest, as Christians, where we're often wondering, um, do I feel like going to church this weekend? This month? Who knows? Let's see how we feel. So easy, so easy to slip into that headspace, and the enemy loves it when you do. But it's a spiritual discipline. Don't, if I could encourage you, don't make coming to church to worship a thing based on, well, if it works out, I'll come. This year, 2024, maybe for the first time in your life, in your family, say, you know what? We're going to church because we need to be there because that's where we're going to meet God regardless of how we feel. We're going there with the anticipation to meet with the Lord in His Word. That's why I'm, I'm so excited, you know, this, uh, about the fact that starting uh, early February, as a church, I'm going to take you through uh, the Gospel of Mark. And uh, we're going to try to do the first half up until our summer series begins. And then we'll continue with the second half in the fall up until Advent season. Um, listen, if you're a long-time believer and you've read Mark like a lot before... It, uh, can I just quote from someone so much um, more significant than myself, J.C. Ryle? He said this, Surely we cannot know this Christ too well. Surely there not, is not a word or a deed or a day or a step or a thought in the record of his life which ought not to be precious to us. We should labor to be familiar with everything that is written about Jesus Christ. Now that I, I say to long-time believers, but I'd like to just speak to you if you're here, you're not sure what to make of anything spiritual. Maybe you haven't even made any commitments to anything, and yet you're here. I want you to know you are so welcome here. You are so welcome here. I would encourage you to be open-minded enough to just check Jesus out. I mean, the things you're going to find in this incredible gospel of Mark 
I think you owe it to yourself to find out more about Jesus as you're sitting there asking yourself the big questions of life. Mark's gospel. So commit to the journey. Second thing, receive and apply the word as believers. In the book of First Thessalonians, it talks about people there who received what was preached as if it was the word of God itself. That is an incredible commendation Paul says to this group of Christians compared to other churches he wrote to. That was just who they were. They just received it like God was talking. I mean, it's one thing when we gather as believers and we all share our opinions with each other about any matter. I mean, when that happens, we should we should all have the mindset of, well, I'll think about that. Maybe I agree with you. Maybe I don't. That's that's not what Paul's talking about. But when you see it in the scripture, when God commends you, when you see it and you see it as God talking, that's what he's going for. And then not just seeing it, but applying it. Not just what? Hearers of the word, but doers of the word. What does that look like in life, really? Doers of the word. Well, I think it involves some self-reflection when you leave church. I think it involves talking to your spouse about what did we just hear? How do, what do you see in my life? What do I see in yours? If you have a Christian group you're a part of or Christian friends that you hang with and you talk together about spiritual matters, reflect on these things, apply them. What needs to change in my life, in my thinking or my feeling or my behavior so that I can see God work? And then here's the third thing and then I'll close. Treasure Jesus. You know, it's one thing to know about Jesus. It's another thing to know him personally. That's what we call salvation and being a Christ follower. But there's a there's a another level that happens as we grow in sanctification. And that is that more and more we start to treasure Jesus. And we start to see him as what? The pearl of great price. We treasure Jesus to the point that we start looking at all the other things in life that we thought are our treasures and we go, why did I make that such a big thing? Why am I treasuring that so much? Perhaps as you treasure Jesus more, you'll find the Holy Spirit starting to press in on your heart that that thing you're treasuring, that's getting in the way of something I want to do in your life. The thing I'm doing when I preach up here is very simple. I don't really expect that anyone will remember an outline of a sermon I've done three months ago, three weeks ago, maybe even three days ago. I don't expect that. That's not what my, <laughs> the most important thing here. What I'm trying to do anytime I preach is to start a fresh fire in your heart for this upcoming week. So that you go and live for Jesus. On this day of commitment, what I say to you is give him your all. You'll never regret it.
regardless of the passage or the subject. Listen, Jesus Christ is the greatest phenomenon that has ever crossed the pages of world history. He is worth giving your life to. You'll never regret what you've yielded to Him. You will regret choices you've made that have limited God's presence and power in your life. So, let's live for Him. Amen. Heavenly Father, on this day of commitment, on this day of gathering, we honor You. We honor Your Son, Thank you for these words in Scripture. Thank you, Lord, for the testimony of God, for Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Help us as a community this year in 2024 to be so yielded and soft of spirit and of heart towards what you're doing in our midst, Lord, that we see an awakening to the new things you have for us. And we love you, Jesus. And everyone said, Amen. Amen.